0: Our text this morning is in Luke 17, uh, Jesus in teaching about the end times, Um, he uh, uses two accounts from the Old Testament to illustrate what he is teaching. The first is the account of Noah and the ark, and the second is the account of Lot and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. So let's begin uh, by turning to Genesis chapter number 6 and look at the account of Noah I won't read the account of Lot, but if you haven't in a while, it's found in Genesis 19, and I would suggest that you do that. There's a lot to be learned in that account. So Genesis chapter 6. I'll read verses 1 through 8. Now it came to pass... When men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he indeed is flesh. Yet his day shall be one hundred and twenty years. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterwards, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every thought, every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. One thing very quickly, which goes along with our catechism reading in that second verse, it said, the sons of God saw the men, the, the daughters of men, that they were beautiful and they took. Those three words in Hebrew, to see that it was good and take was what Eve did at the fall. She saw that the fruit was good and she took it. Um, This is what Moses is getting at just a couple of chapters later to use this exact same example. Men, instead of viewing women as image bearers of God, saw them as objects to be taken and consumed according to their own lusts. And it displeased the Lord greatly, and that wickedness grew in the earth. Let's come before our God in prayer. Our Father in heaven, when we see your law, when we see the scripture, when we see your holiness, We fall on our face before you and we plead for mercy for our country, for our church, for ourselves. For we see more of the men of Sodom than we do of our Lord Jesus Christ in our culture and in our communities. We see those who see what they want and take, who trample over the poor, who express themselves as superior than others. We see racism rampant. We see uh, supremacy. We see oppression. We see everything in high places. Well, they'll walk over the backs of anyone to get what they want. And so, as Isaiah said, equity has fallen in the street. Truth cannot enter. Justice stands far away from us. And today, just as in every age, how we need your deliverance. The Lord Jesus has taken upon himself the breastplate of righteousness. Lord, breathe out that spirit today, not the spirit of judgment, for if you came in judgment, who would stand? But pour out your spirit of grace and mercy, the the, the terms of peace, and open the hearts of men and women so that they might see the corruption of their own heart and bow before you in repentance and faith. We pray that they might cast their crowns aside, that they might repent of their immodesty and their uh, vanity and their power-hungry actions and instead learn to submit, to love, to joyfully serve one another, to wash one another's feet, to be at peace, to be welcoming, hospitable with the love of strangers as the scripture has commanded us to thus we shall be more and more like our Lord Jesus. So Lord Jesus, fill us with that spirit, that we might be more as you are, laying down our lives for the brethren. We pray that you would bless the reading and the preaching of your word, wherever it takes place today. Your word is it's going out in all these places around the world where there's such intense persecution and hatred. Even in our own country, as the word goes out, there's persecution and hatred and attacks and assaults. We pray that you would be merciful to those uh, throughout the world and their families who are coming under attack, and that you would deliver us from the power of the evil one, that you would give them boldness of speech, that you would make faces like flint with words of grace as jewels falling from the lips. Father, forgive us our sins and our many iniquities. Forgive us from our fear, our worries, our anxieties, where we don't trust you as we ought, that we don't rest as we ought. But give us what you command, because how can we rest in the midst of enemies unless you set the table, unless you give us peace? So, Father, give us peace in our own souls and take away the restlessness and the discontent bless our nation we pray bless the governor who has so many tough decisions to make we pray and beg of you and plead of you for rain for we are in trouble Uh, we pray that you would uh, open the windows of heaven and pour out your blessings upon us uh, that you would fill the reservoirs and that you would bless the crops and the governor and all of those who are advising him bless them with wisdom for our for our assemblies Our judges, those that keep the peace and make the laws and give the direction, we pray a spirit of humility, of laying down of lives, of strength and of peace. Give wisdom and justice and prudence in high places, for it is desperately needed and it only comes from you. Bless the reading and preaching of the word today. Give me the words to say, guide my lips, give us ears to hear, hearts to understand and obey in Jesus' name. Amen. My text this morning is in uh, Luke chapter 17, verses 22 through 37. Luke 17, beginning of verse 22. Then he said to the disciples, The days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look here or look there. Do not go after them or follow them. For as the lightning flashes out of one part under heaven, shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things, And be rejected by this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married, wives, they were given in marriage. Until the day that Noah entered the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was in the days of Lot. They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom... It rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day he who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come back down to take them away. And likewise the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, in that night there will be two men in one bed, and one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding together, the one will be taken and the other left. Two will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. And they answered and said to him, Where, Lord? So he said to them, Wherever the body is, there the vultures will be gathered together. I took some liberty with that word and translated it vulture, which is what the Greek word is. Jesus had just taught Jesus had just taught in verse 20 and 21 he spoke to the Pharisees and he said to the Pharisees that the kingdom was not the kind of kingdom that they were expecting nor was he the kind of king that they were expecting he said the kingdom of god does not come with observation it's not going to be accessible to the senses and i'm not going to repeat everything i said 2 uh, weeks ago Uh, We know that the Pharisees were looking for an earthly kingdom. They were looking for what we today call Christendom, uh, a nation based on biblical principles. Um, And they were expecting a king that would come along and enforce those things. And Jesus says this is not what the kingdom of God is. Um, In verse 22, though, he changes, as the narrator tells us, he said to his disciples... Now, he's talking to his disciples. He's not speaking to the Pharisees anymore. He's talking to his disciples, his loved followers, the ones for whom he was going to lay down his life. We have to keep that in mind to understand what he says uh, throughout this text. First, let's look at the reference, the Son of Man. He's talking about the day of the Son of Man, the day when the Son of Man will be revealed. This refers to a prophecy in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7. And if you're not familiar with that, the nation of Israel was in Babylon. They were scattered throughout everywhere. The church was dispersed. Uh, Daniel was in Nebuchadnezzar's palace. Um, And there was a a lot of questions as to what happened to the kingdom of God. Why was Israel scattered everywhere? Why was the king uh, locked in the dungeon? What happened to all of those promises? It was a tremendous trial for the people of God. But Daniel sees a vision, and he describes it here. I watched till thrones were put in place. And the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire, and a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the book's word opened. I watched then, because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away. Yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I was watching in the night visions and behold, one like the son of man coming with the clouds of glory. He came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and uh, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. The first thing to notice in this passage is the term, the son of man. This is who Jesus is referring to whenever he says, the son of man came to seek and save that which was lost. The Pharisees understood that reference. He was claiming the divine nature for himself as the one in the appearance of the Son of Man coming to be given judgment and dominion. But because the kingdom was not like the kingdom they were expecting and it didn't come according to their terms, they rejected him. Jesus now is drawing his disciples back to this term, the Son of Man. Notice several features. That prophecy in Daniel is given to comfort the afflicted faithful. They're crushed under the weight of the beast. The beast is speaking pompous, arrogant words and are threatening them. And then the Son of Man descends, bringing a new kind of kingdom. The kingdom that we talked about last week, where the lion lies down with the lamb and swords are beaten into plowshares. This kingdom will never be destroyed. This is a tremendous comfort for the downtrodden faithful. Faithful. And Jesus is telling his disciples the days will come when you will long for the kingdom of God. You will wonder what happened to the kingdom. Didn't the son of man come to establish a kingdom? Jesus was clearly the son of man. Didn't he come to establish a kingdom? Especially when things are very dark. Jesus knows that his church will frequently go the same kinds of things as in the days of Daniel when the power against the church is too great when the ones with the pitchforks and the torches are winning and since the days that Jesus has spoken these words there have been many many dark days in the history of the church and one thing that always happens in those dark days always is that someone will always say come to me And I will give you rest and peace. Here's the kingdom of God. They will sometimes blatantly say, I am the Christ and I have come to set up my kingdom. Or they will say, I will come as the servant of Christ to tell you how to have peace and how to conquer your enemies. The kingdom of God is here. Or it's there. We're building the kingdom of God here. There will be no more hunger, no more thirst. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree if you'll only bow down and worship me. And when things are hard and when we're fearful, we are susceptible. So many in our day will follow after those who say, here's the kingdom, there's the kingdom. How many flock into the churches because the pastor has said, we're kingdom building here. Today, all across the country, there are politicians joining with churches, baptizing a Christian army to take up arms against the other party. That should terrify us. Jesus said, don't go after them or follow them. Don't believe them. And he gives us one reason why we shouldn't believe them. The biggest reason is this. When the Son of Man is actually revealed, he will be revealed. And everyone will know the second it happens. No one will ever have to say, come follow me and I will show you the kingdom. Because when the Son of Man is revealed, they will all see it instantly. Like lightning flashing across the heaven. You won't need someone to say, this is the kingdom. Because when the king returns, it won't be in secret. You remember when Jesus was on trial and the Sanhedrin asked him, they put him under oath and said, tell us plainly, are you the Christ? Remember his answer? He said, I am. And hereafter you will see the Son of Man descending in clouds of great power and glory. Even those, as Zechariah tells us, who pierced Him, who crucified Him, will mourn when He is revealed. The Scripture simply does not teach a secret rapture. So what about this idea that we build the kingdom here through our childbearing or our efforts or politics? Jesus said, don't believe them. When it is the kingdom and it is the time, you won't need to convince anyone of it. Everyone will know. We will either meet him in the air, as the scripture says, or we'll be calling for the hills to fall on us to hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. But first, he says, he must suffer, he must be rejected. He must conquer death and draw all nations to himself through the proclamation of the gospel. Put yourselves in the position of the disciples now listening to this. And they hear about the Son of Man coming and the kingdom being established and the lightning flashing across the heaven and they go, yes, we're ready. But Jesus knows what's happening. He's heading to Jerusalem for the purpose of being arrested, shamed, beaten, denounced, rejected, nailed to a cross and buried in a tomb. And he's telling them ahead of time, I'm not losing control. This is exactly what the scripture says. He must suffer many things. As I've said before, the kingdom requires a king, a land, and a people. The king has ascended when he rose from the dead. And now he is pouring out his spirit on the world and gathering them to himself. And soon the elements will burn with a flame as the scripture tells us there will be a new heavens and a new earth and the people of god with the lamb of god forever so in the one sense we speak of this kingdom as already meaning that the sting of death has been taken away the serpent's head was crushed on the cross we are now no longer under the bondage of the curse we've been delivered from egypt we've been set free Because when Jesus went to the cross, death was conquered. And when Jesus rose from the dead, the kingdom was inaugurated. But the scripture says, we don't now see all things put under his feet. Things are not now put under his feet. We pray, thy kingdom come. The scripture teaches us that the kingdom grows in increments, but never the way we think it will. When we think of kingdoms, we think of swords and armies. When Jesus is talking about kingdoms, he's talking about making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost and teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. It's in the hearts and minds of men through the proclamation of the gospel, the work of the spirit, the sacraments, the very ordinary things that God has set up to feed and nourish his people until the fullness of his kingdom comes. But we get impatient. We want to hurry things along, especially when we're afraid. We want to bring the kingdom in by force, as Jesus says. We want the followers. We want the power. We want the leadership. We want to build our vision of the kingdom. We want strong government to reward friends and punish enemies. And when we see glimpses of power, when we see the false prophets start their seducing, we're tired of hurting. And we want to see hope in what they say. To the clear warning of Jesus don't believe them don't go after them they have an agenda we trust we wait we serve we love we occupy till Jesus comes and we suffer because we're the body of Christ and if Jesus did not enter glory without suffering neither will we We suffer before we are revealed as who we truly are. We call the world to believe the gospel, but the manifestation, what I mean by the manifestation of the kingdom is, the day is coming when the curtain is pulled back and there's no more question. It's been revealed for everybody. This is the meaning of the word manifestation. It's actually the meaning of the word apocalypse, uh, which we translate revelation. It means there's something hidden behind a veil. And then the veil has been pulled away so that everybody can see it. That's the apocalypse. It's pulling away the veil so that we can see the king in all his glory and his sons and daughters as they truly are. And when he comes in the clouds of glory, there won't be anybody that needs to be convinced. They're all going to know. He gives us two examples in both examples, the point here isn't, hey, you better repent before judgment comes, because he's talking to his disciples. That is true. The world, you better re- if you have not repented, you better repent before judgment comes. That's absolutely true. But it's not the primary point here in what he says about Noah and what he says about Lot. Because Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to those whom he loves. They are safe in his hands. The one who died for us, as we read in our catechism, this is the same one who died for us is the one coming in judgment. And so we are safe. He's saying something else. He's, he's really focusing on Lot and on Noah. Those two had something in common. They lived in a world of tremendous wickedness and their hearts were grieved by it and there was nothing they could do about it. But God Knew how to deliver them. That's his point. The account of Lot. I will confess to you, Lot is a difficult one for me. Um, Here's a man who's getting ready to throw his two daughters out to the men of Sodom, and I I can't get over that. Um, But the scripture says he was a righteous man. God considered him righteous. So I can say to that, I can leave my reservations in the hands of the world, or the hands of God who judges righteously. And I can say thank God that he has mercy on sinners such as me. Lot was in trouble. If you remember, those men were knocking down his wall. They were bringing in the battery rams, pushing open the door to come in and kill them all in a very bad, mean, hard, nasty way. But God knew how to save Lot. He struck them all with immediate blindness. He told Lot to get out of the city. And then fire came down and destroyed the city. In the days of Noah, Noah is working every day, a preacher of righteousness, the scripture calls him, grieved with that generation of extreme wickedness. You remember before the flood, God did not restrain wickedness. Civil government had not been set up. God's spirit had not been poured out to restrain wickedness and preserve the world. He let wickedness go to its conclusion, which was so bad that the entire world needed to be cleansed with a flood of water. And Noah lived right in the middle of it. We get a little bit nervous if we have to drive through a pretty rough neighborhood. Can you imagine when the whole world is a pretty tough neighborhood? And the wicked lived... 900 years, Noah builds an ark. Listen to what Peter says about this. If God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world, but save Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. And turning the city of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemning them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterwards would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man, dwelling among them, tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment. For the day of judgment, the primary application is God knows how to deliver his people. When we become afraid of the wicked, we become vulnerable to the allure of the false prophet. Jesus gives us a better way. Remember Noah? Remember Lot? Remember God's judgment? God knows how to do this, He knows how to judge the wicked. He knows how to deliver the righteous, and he will do it perfectly, without warning, in his time. And he describes that in verse 27 and following. The wicked in Noah's day, they went on with their lives. Day after day, mocking and abusing the weird man building the ark. Continuing in their unimaginable wickedness, without restraint, unchecked, doing as they pleased. And figuring everything would go the way it's always gone. And then one day, it was not the same. They woke up one morning, ate their breakfast, walked to work, maybe went to a wedding, maybe planted some trees, maybe put a row of chickpeas in the ground and weeded the cucumbers and checked the olive trees. And then things were not the same. In Sodom, the men were out for a bit of fun. They heard some strangers in town. They didn't want to be late. They had work the next day. Remember in the ancient world, up until modern times, sex was not about love, sex or even lust or desire. It was about domination and control. They had to bring these strangers under their control. That's what this was about. There's some strangers in town. It's important to make sure they know who runs things around here. Maybe they're spies. We better go take care of that. They call their buddies. Hey, Joe, did you hear about Lot? He's got some strangers in his house. Yeah, you can go to work tomorrow. But the men of Sodom didn't have the next morning. The men of Noah's day didn't have the next morning. They were alive the day they died. To quote five for fighting. I'm trying to put my quotes in and give them credit where credit is due. But here's something beautiful to ponder. This is the point of the whole thing. Lot didn't have to deal with them the next morning either. Neither did Noah. They didn't have to spend one more day with those miserable, horrible, lying, cruel, brutal, destructive, oppressive people because God knew how to deliver them. That's the point of Jesus' teaching. There will be suffering. Jesus suffered before glory, and so will his disciples. But wait. Be patient. Do good to all. Don't fret because of evildoers. Put aside thoughts of vengeance. Pray for those who are building your gallows and rejoicing in your pain and in your vulnerability. And how can we possibly do that? because God knows how to deliver. And I know that for some, this is a tremendous comfort. And for some, they respond with doubt. And they say to themselves, I I hope so. Because all they've known in this life is pain and rejection and sorrow. In fact, a few centuries later, a town in Bethlehem, which is recounted in Judges chapter 19, repeats the scene of Sodom and Gomorrah almost exactly the same scenario. Only this time there was no miraculous angel to save them. There was no fire from heaven. There was no blind eyes. There was a woman on the threshold that was abused to death. And so you have to ask the question, did God forget about that woman? Did he forget how to save her? Why did he save Lot and not her? And I cannot answer that question. I don't know why so many suffer so many things and others don't. But I know this. This is what I know. God knows how to make it right. And he will. He knows how to raise the dead. And the scripture teaches when the Son of Man comes on the clouds of glory... The woman on the threshold will be raised from the dead and she will be glorious, beautiful, and terrifying to those who abused her. For she will be coming with the Son of Man in power. And when she stands with the Son of Man, with all the rest of those who have been crushed underfoot, the whole wicked world will tremble and call on the hills to fall upon them. That's what I know. And that has to be enough because there's so much more that I don't know. And I read a quote the other day, and I don't remember who said it, so I can't give credit, but it stuck with me, and I hope it sticks with you. Sometimes we have to be patient with the unresolved things in our hearts. That's the only way to rest. Sometimes we have to be patient with ourselves and rest in knowing that God knows how to deliver the righteous and judge the wicked. And he is able and he is willing and he will. And in that process, he won't lose one of his own. I have a lot more to say on this chapter, but I think I'm going to stop there. It's a good place to stop and we'll finish it next week. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, what a joy it is to know that you know how to deliver, for we are weak and foolish and rash and impulsive. We get angry, we get afraid, we make mistakes, but you know how to deliver. Teach us, Father, to rest, to be patient, to wait for your time, to love one another, to love even our enemies, put aside all desires of revenge And instead, learn to embrace those who are also fearful and anxious and worried, even though they are different than we are. For we are all sinners and come short of your glory apart from Christ. Forgive us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.